Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm Dr. Ishan, a board-certified sleep psychologist. Today, we will continue our conversation with Dr. Jade Wu, talking about what parents can do to improve sleep after the baby is over six months old. Also, we will discuss how to consider factors such as cold sleep or sleep training. So Dr. Wu is a board-certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist and the author of her new book, Hello Sleep. Again, clips of this interview video will be available on our new YouTube channel, Mind Body Garden Psychology. My team and I upload one new video each week, covering topics like mental health, sexual health, and sleep health. Check it out and let me know your feedback. Let's welcome Dr. Wu. So now as baby grows, right, I want to ask about the um, baby sleep more. Mm-hmm. There's two, most, two big things I want to ask you since we are both psychologists. And uh, what I hear most concern from parents is whether uh, sleep training for babies is going to harm babies' emotional development, their mm-hmm. attachment, their security. And overall, it's their mental health, basically. Another thing is I notice a lot of Chinese parents who come to me for different issues, they all kind of like co-sleep with not only the baby, but even the older child. And for the baby, maybe they all sleep on the same bed. But for when the child gets a little older, like four years old, five years old, the parents always have to sleep with the baby, fall asleep together, and then leave the room, right? So uh, I have some clients complain to me, they cannot really have their time, intimate time with their partner, because yeah. if they have two ch- children, one yeah. going to sleep with each child. Oh, oh my gosh. Just fall asleep with the baby, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. when they wake up, they go back to the bedroom and do their own sleeping. I was like, mm, that sounds very, I'm not sure. I, I have a lot of opinions about that. Yeah. Oh, it's, a, I'd be curious to hear your opinions too. I really love that you pinpointed this is a cultural thing because I also have noticed that people from certain cultures and backgrounds are much more likely to co-sleep than other cultures. And it's actually a hot debate amongst even sleep experts about, well, is there a universally right way to do it? Is co-sleeping good or bad? Or So both of the questions you asked are very good questions because they are controversial. Let's start with the easier one, which is cry it out and sleep training. So like I mentioned earlier, sleep training is a whole set of things that you can do to help your baby sleep. Cry it out is one optional piece of it. So there are plenty of babies who do the other aspects of sleep training and then end up sleeping pretty well and 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 end up sleeping on their own and or they get to a point that feels good to everybody in the family and they don't need to do cry it out and it's fine. And then for some kids, like they really cannot get to a point where they're sleeping independently when the parents really want them to sleep independently and crying it out is really the last step that they really need to do to fully get there. So I just want to clarify that it's not like you do nothing to help your baby sleep and then boom, you do cry it out. (laughs) There's a lot of lead up to it. You know, the light that we talked about, the consistency and the Lots of things that we don't have time to get into. But when it comes to cry it out, the main concern, as you said, is about 
you know, is this traumatic for the baby? Is this going to harm attachment or emotional development? And the short answer is no. We have plenty of research showing that when you do sleep training, including extinction-based methods like cry it out, there is no lasting damage. It does not harm your attachment with your baby and your baby's growth and their psychological growth or emotional functioning, none of that. And, you know, to offer people a little bit of a personal take on it, my toddler is now two years old. We did cry it out with him at five months old, five and a half months. And he does not have any problems with attachment, emotional development. He's a perfectly normal toddler. So, you know, often I find uh, that parents are reassured by me also being a parent, having done it myself. And it's not just that I'm, I'm saying from a research standpoint, it's okay. Like I also have done it with my own kid and I plan to do it with my second baby too. Um, now, often people will cite a couple of studies that uh, point to the concern. One is a study of Romanian orphans at an orphanage where they ended up having attachment problems when they were allowed to cry it out to sleep. But what's also happening in that setting is that they're also not getting a lot of attention outside of sleep. Like during the day, they don't have the, you know, the other necessities, the real necessities of forming good attachment with their caregiver, like having one stable caregiver that gives them lots of attention, one stable environment, and all of the other things that a baby needs, right? So with that study, we really can't pinpoint it to cry it out for sleep as the main culprit um, for the problems. The other study people cite is a study where they measured cortisol levels. So this is a stress hormone in babies and in parents during the cry it out uh, phase. So they did the study for three overnights and they found that at first the baby and the parents cortisol levels matched. So when the, you know, parents, the mom's cortisol level is high, the baby's is high when it's low, the baby's is low. And so it seems that they are in sync in that way. And then during cry it out, they saw that the mom's stress levels went down after, you know, after a couple of nights, understandable, um, but the baby stayed high. And so people are very concerned that then the mom and baby are no longer in sync and the mom is no longer attuned to the baby's needs. That is, I think, a very understandable concern. But what this study did not do is one, it did not have a control condition, right? So we don't know what happened uh, without cry it out, with other methods, um, there's no comparison. Two, the study only ran for three nights. We don't know what, what, what happened after the third night. And it just so happens that in my clinical experience and based on other pediatric sleep experts, you know, what they say, three nights is kind of the average for how long it takes for cry it out to work. So we don't know what happened afterwards. Also, let me just mention that the moms and other parents' stress levels and their mental health is so important to the baby's emotional health and their uh, and the bonding between parent and baby that you know we have to sort of weigh the pros the costs and benefits right yes you can avoid cry it out because you don't want to harm the bonding between the baby but if you are so stressed out and so sleep deprived and 
your mental health and your depression, your mood is being affected. That's also detrimental to your baby's well-being and the bonding you have with your baby. Sometimes I kind of break the hard news to people that there's no, really no such thing as no cry sleep training. I mean, there's the one in a million baby that just naturally sleeps through the night with no training. I don't know how that happens. It's very rare. There's no such thing as no cry sleep training. It's just whether you want to do a little bit of crying for a very long period of of, of the baby's life and your life, or you want to do a lot of crying all at once for a short period of a few days at a time. And there's pros and cons to each. But if you, as a parent, you are struggling a lot with your mental health and stress levels because you're not getting enough sleep or because your baby is crying a lot um, and not able to sleep well, it might actually be better for the baby in the long run and even a short run to do what you need to do to help the baby sleep so that you can both sleep well and be in a better state to bond. Right. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, hopefully this uh, all this analysis of the research and your own personal experience, along with your clinical experience, can bring a lot of clarity to the parents. So yes. I think it's really, you know, as adults, we can make a choice, but each choice is going to lead to a consequence. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I want to just acknowledge here that it is so, so tough to make the decision to do cry it out or some variation thereof, it broke my heart. Oh my gosh. It's like the hardest thing to do. A lot of the argument against cry it out is just, if it feels that bad, it must be bad. And I can so, so relate to that intuition. I think there's actually, you know, a lot of truth to that. And in our modern society where parents have to work and there are demands on your time and you can't not like multiple times through the day, like things are just different now in our modern society, such that our biology maybe has not caught up to that yet. So there are the realities of our world and there are the realities of um, biology. And sometimes it, the, the two hit go, go against each other. Um, so I want to acknowledge that our instincts are telling us very much that we should not do cry it out and cry it out still may be the very best thing you can do for your sleep and your baby's sleep and for everybody's mental health. Um, so it's not easy. It's not easy. I had to literally leave the house, um, and just go driving around for like multiple hours while my husband held down the fort at home because I could not stand to be home and listen to my baby cry. It's, it's so hard after we did it, it helped everybody. It really made a huge difference in everybody's health. Yeah. Yeah. One of my colleagues told me she's not a sleep psychologist. She's just a regular psychologist, mm -hmm. but she did the sleep training. And uh, even though exactly the process was so heartbroken, but the result is so good, especially for the baby. She said mm -hmm. when she entered the child's room in the morning, the child already wake up, but he was able to play on bed by himself. Seems like very happy on his own. So it sounds like he was able to learn self-soothing skills, mm -hmm. right? Not yes. only soothe himself to sleep, but also entertain himself when he wakes up. Yes. And self-soothing is actually a very important skill for a baby to learn. You know, we, we talk about our instinct of not wanting to leave the baby alone, very understandable, but, you know, traditionally too, we also parented in 
a much less intensive way. Nowadays, it feels like there, oh my gosh, I could go on about this, but it seems like parenting has to be very intensive. Like we're always like watching the baby, doing something stimulating with the baby. We're educating the baby. We're doing Montessori. We're doing gentle parenting. We're doing this and that. We're always like doing something with the baby. Whereas traditionally (laughs) women had to, you know, go tend the vegetable garden and go take care of other babies and go milk the cow and like all sorts of things. A lot of babies spent a lot of time not being entertained by their parents. They were looked after, they were given their, you know, taken care of, but they spent a lot of time self-entertaining too, babies and young, young kids. In a way, we are doing more intensive parenting than we used to. Teaching the baby to self-soothe is in a way getting back to, in some ways, a more natural pattern of things. Right. I think my opinion on the second question I asked you, along with the self-soothing component, actually, because my concern is if parents always try to go to bed with their children together, right, that's possibly going to get in the way of the children to learn how to self-soothe themselves before bedtime. So basically the children's wind down, bedtime wind down routine is relying on the parents doing something and rely on the parents to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, this is the trickier thing to answer because there is such a cultural component to it. Historically, a lot of people co-slept. Even today, a lot of cultures still co-sleep and it seems like unfathomable for a baby or a young child to sleep on their own. So I want to very much respect that. I think there are ways to There are situations in which co-sleeping is perfectly fine if it's not disrupting overall everybody's health and mental health and ability to sleep well. And especially if the the mom or the parents are able to um, live a lifestyle where co-sleeping is okay for everybody, then by all means, you know. Not not in the first three-ish months, um, because when the baby is a newborn, it, co-sleeping is too risky. The stakes are too high. I mean, there are just heartbreaking stories of accidentally, you know, smothering the baby. And, and we, we definitely don't want to risk that. So before the baby is able to roll on their own and hold up their own head and, you know, be able to sort of protect themselves, in the very young months, we do not want to co-sleep for safety reasons. After that, there are lots of people who co-sleep and and it's fine, but you're right. Co-sleeping ends up making associations um, that the baby needs in order to fall asleep. And that's where we get into childhood insomnia um, of, you know, sleep onset association insomnia. And that is tricky because that can really get in the way of the parent's ability to have intimate time with their partner, just any sort of wind down time for themselves and their own sleep quality too. Research does show that when you co-sleep, the child's sleep is the same quality as if they sleep on their own, but the parent's sleep is significantly disrupted. Um, That makes sense because babies are very noisy and very active when they sleep. Lots of parents are talking about their babies making wild shrieks and snorts and slapping them in the face and rolling onto their head. And, you know, it's, um, it's pretty hard to sleep well when your baby's in bed with you, or it's sometimes even the same room with you. So then we get into a case of 
weighing the pros and cons. It can be a hard habit to break. Once you start co-sleeping, it's very hard to stop co-sleeping. Um, but there are ways to help your baby to unlearn that habit and to learn more independent sleep. So I don't know if that's a very satisfying answer. It's a tricky one because, I mean, there are also degrees of co-sleeping. There, you can have baby in your bed or in in their in their bassinet beside your bed or in a crib across the room in a different room with the doors open in a totally different floor of the house with the doors closed. You know, there are degrees of how close you are when you're, when you're sleeping with your baby. And for some people, they just literally cannot sleep with their babies on the same floor with them. And that's me. Like I, my baby has been in her own crib since like the second week, you know, but some people are able to co-sleep into the toddler years and be fine. So this is more of a personal choice. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's a lot of topics in sleep field, right? There's no certain answer. Mm-hmm. There are cultural differences, there are individual differences, and uh, there are individual preference. But it's, I think it's great discussions to see different point of view and uh, different concerns. Uh, I do respect a lot of parents' choice. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if I notice the problem, since they already come to see me, when they see me, that means either they have some mental issues or they, they have some sleep problems, right? <laughs> then I often raise my concerns and then try to brainstorm with them. Yeah. Because when I treat insomnia patients, I have patients who uh, you know, for CBTI, sometimes we will do sleep restriction. We're going to suggest them to go to bed at a certain time. But Problem is they're gonna have to accompany the baby, not the baby anymore, the the, the child, actually, young child yeah. to, to sleep. So they end up now oh, yeah. late night with the child for one or two hours and then wake up, do their own thing, and try to go to bed around the time I gave them. Yeah. But it does not work. <laughs> no, that's really, really tough. Yeah. I, I see that pattern too, especially when a baby, when you have a younger baby who's still breastfeeding, if the parent is breastfeeding, they'll do like a last breastfeeding session of the evening. And while they're doing that, they're on the bed and both the child and the, and the mom fall asleep at the same time on the breast. And the baby is basically unable to go to sleep without nursing on the breast, which is very work intensive for the, for the mom, right? Especially if you're breastfeeding into like toddler years. And then the mom catches a long nap at like 8 PM. And then by the time it's your, their prescribed bedtime from Dr. Xu, you know, it's like, they're definitely not going to sleep. So that's really, really tough. Um, and that's a habit that I would definitely want to help them to move away from, even if they accompany their child to bed in the beginning, there, there are ways to do it um, that make it a little bit less tightly associated. For example, nursing, breastfeeding outside of the bed and then going to bed together. And once that's okay, nursing and then doing a bedtime routine in between nursing and going to bed, introducing more and more activities in between nursing and, and sleeping in bed to break that association. Or once you get to that point, you can lie down for a shorter and shorter amount of time with your child before they fall asleep on their own. And one trick that I absolutely love is the good night light. So this is a light that you program to turn off after a certain amount of time or at a certain hour. 
And with an old enough child, with a toddler or, you know, child, you can teach them, okay, we're going to lie together and cuddle and sing songs and reflect on our day while the light is on. But once the good night light turns off, then mama has to leave or daddy has to leave. And then you'll sleep on your own. And that works like a charm because you're not the one telling them I have to leave now. And then it gets into a power struggle and there's crying and you feel guilty and all of that. It's an external thing that tells you that you have, that tells everybody that mama has to leave now. Sorry, mama has no choice. The light has said that the mama, the mama has to leave. So mama is going to leave. And the, when you do this consistently, the child learns the pattern and children actually love patterns. They love knowing what to expect, especially toddlers. So once you do this consistently enough, they stop being upset about it. They learn to self-soothe. They learn to expect to fall asleep on their own. After a while, you're able to do the good night light without you getting into the bed with them. Mm, love that. But overall, I think you mentioned a very important point is no matter we are children or we are adults, the bad sleep association, right? Or the wind down routine and sleep association are so strong, so important. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're, sleep is something we do every day. You know, if you teach your brain to associate the bed with sleep every day, then you're you're going to get sleepy when you get into bed. But anything else can also be associated with being asleep or being awake. Your favorite teddy bear can be associated with sleep or, you know, this particular song can be associated with falling asleep. And that's good news because you can help your child to build up a bedtime routine that introduces a couple of very consistent, very predictable sleep cues so that by the time you reach the end of that 10 minute, 20 minute bedtime routine, their brain fully knows that it's time to sleep. It's had time to wind down and get sleepy. And there's, there are no surprises at this point. It is bedtime. So really one of the best interventions for pediatric sleep, for children's sleep at any age, is to have a consistent bedtime routine. I started doing that with my baby at two weeks old. She doesn't understand what reading a book means, and she doesn't understand like a good night light or whatever. Um, she's not old enough to really like get it yet. And and still, I have a very specific and almost like a military precision bedtime routine that I do with her every single night, no matter what happens. That is going to be one of the most important things for helping her to learn to wind down and self-soothe independently. Wow. You start that early. Yeah. Before she understands it. Oh yeah. The earlier you start it and the more consistent you do it, the less cried out you're going to have to do later. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of wonderful tips for for our audience. (laughs) Yes. I'm so passionate about this, as you can tell, because I just think, you know, their society kind of tells mothers, especially, but all parents that you just have to suck it up. Once you have a baby, you're never going to sleep again. It, sleep, oh, forget it, you know? And it's built so much into our culture that I think a lot of parents don't actually think there's anything they can do to help themselves or help their baby sleep better. But actually, there is a lot that we can do. And a lot of it is not necessarily immediately intuitive because we often think there are things that tips and tricks that we can do at night to summon sleep. 
But you know, as a sleep psychologist, sometimes the harder you work, the less it happens, right? But what we don't talk about, especially with new parents, is a lot of what they do during the day, like the light exposure that we talked about, so important. The timing and the pattern of napping, so important. The way that you give yourself forgiveness and flexibility and grace, but also give yourself and your baby some helpful bumpers also very important. So I I know we don't have time to talk about all the tips today, but I just want to give people the message that there is actually hope. There's a lot that you can do. Um, It's not completely out of your control. Yeah. And there are a lot of sleep specialists all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So if you really, you you tried all this and you, you still struggle, you don't know how to tailor a treatment plan for your own life to fit your schedule, your baby's schedules and find a sleep specialist locally and Mm -hmm. they possibly can guide you through this. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, it's so helpful to have a guiding person, even sometimes, even though, you know, rationally what you should do, having someone help you to, to problem solve the barriers and to be your cheerleader can go a long way as well. And, and you might get a tip that you never thought of from a specialist too. So absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember a lot of time my, my patients, not only for sleep problem, for other things, they don't do any practice until the day before the several days before they're going to see me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure. Okay. I have to report something. I have to. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes provider. having that accountability is all it takes. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wow. So I know your journey is still ongoing. I look forward to hear if there's anything new, any more inspiration comes up in the future. Thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. And if you ever want to do a follow-up with like a parent of an older child, like a toddler, a preschooler, we can do that too. It's we'll we'll just follow my life journey along the way, right? <laughs> I'm gonna possibly start messaging you every several oh, years. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Happy to talk through that anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I I think this is it's wonderful. Just by talking to you, even though I don't have a child, I, I feel like I'm more ready. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, being prepared is half the battle. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you find this conversation helpful, subscribe our newsletter and leave me a comment at mindbodygarden.com sleep. At the end, just want to remind you of some sleep resources my clinic offers. So I just launched a new sleep podcast in Chinese. And I also have two CBTI insomnia treatment courses, one in Chinese, one in English. You can find more information at mindbodygarden.com course. So happy to have you today. Hopefully this is helpful. I'm Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.